This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So what I want to do, I want to connect today's sermon to, to last week's sermon. Um, because I think there was elements of last week's sermon that's, that's just continuing to push through in this one. So, you guys remember last week when we talked about the fig tree? All right, so let's, let's look at that right here, what happened with the fig tree. So, Jesus and his disciples are, are, are walking and... Jesus sees this fig tree is not bearing fruit. So he curses the tree. The next day, as they're walking and, and, and they're heading into to Jerusalem, Peter notices the tree, the tree that Jesus cursed yesterday, and it's shriveled up. It started to die. And Peter is surprised. He's wowed by this. He's like, yo, get out of here. And he's like, look, the tree actually died. Peter was still wrestling with how far the authority of Christ stretched. He was still wrestling with that. I mean, he's seen Jesus speak to human beings that were sick and their bodies be healed. Authority. He's seen people, he's seen Jesus speak to demons and demons obey him. Authority. He's seen him speak to the ocean and the ocean respond to his authority. And he's seen him speak to the wind and the wind responds to his authority. Now he sees him speaking to a tree. And the tree responds to his authority. And when he trips out over the tree, and he, he said, Jesus, look. That's when Jesus goes into the story about the mounting and everything. But before he goes into the story, he says to, to Peter, he says, have faith in God. He's telling him that the proper response to the authority of God is faith. That's the proper response. The proper way to respond to the greatness of his authority is faith. Now, faith is trusting God. That's what faith is, is this deep trust. So the proper response to the authority of God is faith or a deep trust in his character. That's the proper response to the magnitude of his authority. So that being said, if you all stand and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to walk through verses from 11, 27, all the way to 12 and 12. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him. And he said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? 
or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do the things that I do. Was the baptism of John from heaven or man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. Those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Would he come and destroy the tenants? No, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Father, I thank you for how great you are, how good you continue to be to us, Lord. And as we dive into your word today, Lord, I pray that you will sink it deep into our spirits, deep into our hearts, Lord. That you will cause it to, to blossom and bear fruit, Lord. Father God, I pray that you will cause your words, your gospel to come alive inside of us and living inside of us, Lord. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will lead this time as we worship you, as we listen to you. As we dig in to you, Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So one thing you see as you continue to go through Mark, 
over and over and over again, you see this continued question of authority, a question of the authority of Christ over and over again. I don't know how many times we've seen this. And, and I trust in God with his intentions and everything that he does, even in planning out what's going to be preached. So I think that it's not just a question inside of Mark concerning his authority, but even for us, as we dive into this, it's a question with us concerning his authority. You see, they're asking Jesus about his authority, like, who gave you this authority? But it wasn't even a genuine question. It wasn't asking because they wanted to learn who's giving him the authority so that they could submit to him, so that they could worship that person, so they could follow. That wasn't it. The question wasn't genuine. So since the question wasn't genuine, Jesus didn't respond to the question but the condition of their hearts. He responded directly to where their heart was at. Why they was even asking the question, not because they really wanted to know the answer, but there was a situation going on inside of their hearts, and that's what he starts to speak to. So he starts off, and he redirects the question to their views on John the Baptist instead. And that was very very intentional. He didn't just say, man, how can I deflect this? He goes to John the, the Baptist for very intentional purposes and reasons. He's on his journey to expose the reality of their hearts. And because of the question that he asks them, they find themselves in this situation where they're caught between publicly dealing with the implications of John the Baptist's ministry being of heaven, like if his ministry really was from heaven, if his authority really is from heaven, there's some things to wrestle with there. Because John's entire ministry pointed towards Christ. His whole ministry did. John the Baptist was the one that baptized Jesus. As a matter of fact, he felt that he wasn't even worthy to to baptize Jesus, that Jesus should be baptizing him, and that he didn't consider himself worthy to even unbuckle his shoes. And then when Jesus' ministry started, John the Baptist is like, well, let me decrease so that he can increase. So before we start tackling the authority of Jesus, let me back up. What do you think about John? Because these are the things that John did in regards to this ministry that you're in question of. And there's a reason why he he backs up. It doesn't answer this directly right off the bat. And they realize that if if they respond and say that his ministry was of heaven, then while they were trying to catch him in a trap, he would have caught them inside of a trap, put them in a position where they had to realize and respond to some real things. But then on the flip side, if they said that John the Baptist's ministry wasn't 
of heaven, then the crowds would wild out. Because the crowds was like, it's obvious. They find themselves in a position where they were unwilling to acknowledge John's heavenly authority and unable to discern its relation to Jesus' authority. Why? Because they were so caught up not wanting to be wrong, not wanting to be seen as wrong by either side. And here's the reality of this. So many times inside of our own lives and our own situations that we get so caught up not wanting to seem wrong that we do just what they did. Because they didn't even consider answering the question the right way. They only considered what this answer might cause or what that answer might cause. How it might make me look. And sometimes we get so caught up with not wanting to be wrong that that eclipses what's true and then leads us in the type of answer that we give because we're so caught up in our own pride. So Jesus responds to them by giving them the parable of the tenants. He starts talking to them, and he's like, yeah, there's this man, this man plants this vineyard, and he leases it out to these tenants. He owns the vineyard. He leases it to these people. They don't own it, but he gives it to them to, li to, to live on and to steward. And when he comes to collect from the fruits of it, he is constantly constantly rejected. At this point in the book of Mark, where we start to see like a change in how Jesus is handling things. At this point in his ministry, he's becoming bolder and bolder about who he actually is. See, at the beginning, he's He's telling people not to tell nobody who I am. He's, he's casting demons out and doing it before they have a chance to tell who he really is. But now, even last week, he's at the point where he's running up in the synagogues and throwing tables over. And now, he's taking a well-known section of Jewish scripture, which is Isaiah 5. That's where he gets this parable from. And he's giving his own rendition of it, tweaking it to reflect its relevance to the current situation, all while exposing who he really was despite his efforts to keep it a secret, up until now, his last week of ministry. Things are getting real. And before he's trying to keep it a secret, now he's trying to expose it more and more and more. And he takes Isaiah 5 and he uses it and he makes this parable that is just jammed, packed with significance. And you can miss it and think it's just about a vineyard. You look at it, read, verse 1 it reads like this. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. Now, this man that he's talking about, he's making this analogy to them, and the man that he's talking about represents God. And 
even in his choosing of this vineyard, this, this, this great vineyard, that's significant too because um, great vineyards was the backbone of the economy at that time. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. It was the backbone of the economy. Everything was revolving around it. And then he says, when the season came, the owner sent people to collect. And again, the, you take that word, when the season came, that phrase right there can also be translated at the proper time, which is unique to why he used John the Baptist from the get-go. You go back to Mark 1 and 15, this is right after Right after John baptizes in him and Jesus starts his ministry, he starts his ministry, he comes out starting and saying, the time has fulfilled. It's the proper time. Now is the season for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is how he starts his ministry. So they're asking him about his authority. He tells them about John. Then he starts talking about this vineyard and the proper time. The time is at hand. This is the season right now. He's been preaching the gospel for three years, teaching people, healing people, casting out demons, doing these things. And he says that it was time to collect fruit, which is the proper response to the gospel. Bear fruit. They've been hearing the gospel for all this time. They've been rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it. This is his last week of life, time to bear fruit. You read verses 3, 4, and 5. And what you see, they, they, the owner sends one servant, that servant is killed. He sends another servant, that servant gets beat down. He sends another servant, he's killed. And over and over and over again, the owner is sending these servants to collect. And they're rejecting the authority of the man that planted the vineyard by rejecting his servants that came to collect in his authority. They had developed a habit of rejecting the person that was in authority. This has become a lifestyle for them. This is what they did constantly. They were living off the land and grace of the owner, but refusing to give back any of the fruits that they were given to steward, rejecting his authority. Let me repeat that. I want you to think about this. They were living in the land and grace of the owner and refusing to give back to the owner fruits of what he had given to them to steward. Sound familiar any way, shape, or form? Then eventually the owner says his son, and Jesus chooses his words specifically right here. He says, man, he says, the owner has been sending people, sending people, sending people, sending people. Then he says, but 
he had a beloved son. This is still connecting back to John. When have we heard this before? Jesus getting baptized by who? John. A voice comes from heaven saying what? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He's he's still connecting it back to his baptism with John, John's authority, his authority, the beloved son, God being the owner of the vineyard, him being the beloved son. He's connecting these dots for them right in front of their face as he's building on this parable, using scripture that they are very familiar with. Then he starts to talk about the plot to kill that son and cast him out of the vineyard. That was verse, verses 7 and 8. But still, in the midst of all of this, he's connecting things. Everything he does, he's connecting it to stuff that they already know. Even when he talks about the plot to kill the son and cast him out of the vineyard, that is reminiscent of, of the block to kill Joseph and cast him into the ditch. He doesn't waste any moments inside of his ministry. Every single thing that he does is intentional, is building off of something else that's been laid in. He's just laying these bricks on top of brick, on top of brick, on top of brick. So when he touches down, it connects to something else along the way. And that's normally how it is when God grabs your attention and stuff. The reality of it is that he's been tugging at your heart for a while, and he's been laying these brick after brick after brick. And if your eyes are open, you'll start to see how these things connect. So then, in 10 and 11, He quotes more scripture. He, he quotes Psalms and he says, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And he's building on this thing, he's talking about the plot to kill. The son, which really is digging at their hearts because that's exactly what's going on with them, a plot to kill him. He's referring to himself as the son. And then he gives, he uses this scripture where he refers to himself as the stone and the rejection of that stone, his death by the builders who represent the Jewish leaders at that time. And how after his death or rejection, he would be elevated as the cornerstone, the foundation of the entire structure. He's talking to them. In 12, it says that the Jewish leaders that was around perceived that he was actually talking about them. This is unique because 
normally when Jesus is giving a parable, he's given his parable for a particular reason. He's communicating kingdom truths, realities about the kingdom of God, but he's communicating it in a way that if you are a part of the kingdom of God, you'll get it. If you're not a part of the kingdom of God, you'll miss it. But this time when he's communicating it, he's still using a parable, but he's making the parable obviously plain in front of them. Like, indirectly, directly in your face type of deal. It's like, like you're talking to somebody, like, blah, blah, you're going off, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you want, want some gum? And, they, and you keep talking, it's like indirectly, but directly in your face. And then if you miss it, it's like, do you want some gum? No. <laughs> Jesus is taking the time to, to expose to them some of the realities that's happening here. And it's, it's really, really huge because they're asking him about his authority and he's his explanation concerning his authority is like, dude, really? You've been rejecting the authority of God for a while now. Not just when I showed up on the scene. It's like, you get a ticket for speeding. It's less than likely this is the first time you ever sped and it just happened to be a cop there. It's probably like, the 197,000th time. And he's like, there's never a cop here, but he's here right now. That's normally who, how, what, it, what it is. When, when the time that somebody finally addresses something or people finally realize and see what's going on, the reality of it is that it's been going on for a while, whether they're at a heart level or coming out, but now it's being exposed and seen. And Jesus is like, You've been rejecting the authority of the Father for a minute now. Why even ask me this question? He paints this picture to them. And in the picture, the service, the service that came to, to talk to them about collecting, they represent the Old Testament prophets. And, and John the Baptist that weren't really received the way that they should be received, rejected. The vineyard represented Israel. Obviously, the beloved son was Christ, and the tenants were the Jewish leaders. But it's real easy to, to read this text and, and just say, man, those Jewish leaders at that time and moment were missing the mark. See, the hearts of the tenants weren't uncommon to our own hearts. Now, is what I want to drive home today. You catch that. You, you see it in verse 7. In verse 7, it reads like this. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. 
What's really happening here? What is Jesus really exposing? He goes down this long list of all these people that had come and is being rejected. Then he says the plot, the plot behind killing the son is wanting what is his. They wanted his authority. That was the issue. That was the problem. He had authority that they didn't, and they wanted his authority. They wanted to be the ones that were in control and had a problem with somebody else having more authority than them. If you have ears, you'll hear it. Peep the deception. They said, let us kill the heir and the inheritance will be ours. But peep the reality of it. Accept the heir, which is the son, Jesus Christ, and you will be joint heirs of the inheritance anyhow. This is how the enemy deceives just like in the garden. Reject the authority of God now, and you'll be just like God. But the reality was, he was already created in the image and likeness of God as it was. When we look more at the scripture and we think about it, here's the questions that we want to ask ourselves. Here's the thing that we want to look at concerning this. You think about it and you say, well, all right, the tenants at that time and moment represented the Jewish leadership that was there, but God intends for us to read this right here today. Who are their tenants today? Could it be us in some way? Can we be those, 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 those tenants that's been rejecting God over and over and over again? And that vineyard is the gospel that he's planted inside of our hearts. And he's saying that you haven't been a good steward over there. I've come to collect fruit. Bear fruit. And he's, he's coming over and over again. The, and the servants, the servants, the ones that's coming to collect are people and loved ones inside of our lives. Different circumstances that God uses. Situations that God uses at his discretion to call us to produce fruit from the vineyard. And we reject his authority over and over and over again. Jesus, the son, the son of our God that we held as king and yet we nail him to the cross over and over again, rejecting his authority in a fight to be the ones that's in control. Why? Because we want to be in control. We want to be our own gods. Living on his grace, refusing to give back fruits from what he's giving to us, the steward. 
Listen, I wrestled with this message all week long, not even knowing what to say. Because God had to be stumped at a particular spot. Are we rejecting the authority of God in our lives? Are we in turn saying we want to be the ones in control? We want to be the ones that have all authority over everything that happens inside of my life. And when things arise as challenging that authority and saying bear fruit, I kill it and throw it out. Because it, it, it causes me to think about myself as I'm not in control. So I turn a back, my back on a God that has been gracious to us. And I just explain it away over and over and over again. And God is like, bear fruit. This story that he uses from Isaiah, when he talks about the, the, the vineyard, is a vineyard that he loved. And we look at that vineyard and we, and we see the vineyard is our hearts and the gospel that's planted inside of our hearts. And he's saying, bear fruit. Bear fruit. Don't turn your back on what God has planted inside of you. Bear fruit. And he's calling us to live this particular thing out on a regular basis. But so many ways, he's coming and he's knocking on the door. And we're like ignoring him like a bill collector or something. Like I'm not answering that phone number. Listen. what I want us to think about today, what I want us to, to ponder. I don't want us to take lightly or skirt over it. And the band can get ready to come up. I don't want us to take lightly and skirt over it. God is calling us to respond to his authority. Simple and plain. The authority of God is something that should cause us to trust him. And we respond out of that trust for him. Not reject him, but the grace and the mercy that he has causes him to come after us over and over and over again. Just, I mean, just imagine that. He's sending people to collect from the vineyard over and over and over and over and over again. And the people are being killed and murdered, killed and murdered, hurt and maimed, shamed and everything else. And then he sends his son. What different areas inside of our own hearts, inside of our own lives, where God is saying, listen, you're not brand new to the gospel right here. You've heard the gospel preached concerning this. And I'm calling you to bear fruit. And I am rejecting his authority. Peter was surprised that the tree responded to the authority of God. 
there shouldn't be no surprise that we should respond to the authority of God, the one that created us, the one that molded us and knitted us before the foundation of the earth. And God would send others, situations, people that love us and care about us to call us to respond to that authority as opposed to rejecting it. As we get ready for communion, this is what I want us to do. I want us to think heavenly. Probably you're, you're that person. You know that the gospel has been preached to you, but the gospel hasn't been primary inside of your life. It's not what you're living by. It's just head knowledge. It's stuff that you hear and it sounds really good. I can say amen and I can clap to it. But the father, the owner of the vineyard is saying bear fruit. And I'm coming to collect fruit that you're bearing for me. And he's holding you accountable for it. Probably this is a time before you take communion to pray with somebody. So when we open up the table, there'll be people over here that you can't pray with. Probably it's a time to repent. Probably it's a time to confess. But whatever it is, it's a time that he's knocking on the door and saying, bear fruit. It's a purpose and a reason why I planted the vineyard. Bear fruit. As you take up the communion, you take up the bread, and you take up the cup, Spend time praying and ask God to search your heart. Areas out of my life that I have been rejecting you, Lord. I'm more satisfied with me being God right here. And don't ignore the language that he's using here. When he says that the people weren't just rejected, he, he, he uses violent language here. They're killed and shamed and hurt. This is how serious he's taking the constant rejection. Probably it's the time to ask God to forgive and, and know that the taking of communion says, Lord, you are in control, and I lovingly and joyfully submit to your authority. I trust you. Lead me, I need your help. Live inside of me, and you will be glorified. So, the tables are open. You can come up. Before you take, drink, pray. Before you eat, pray. And if you want people to pray with you, to lead you to the cross, probably that's what you need right now. There will be some people up here to pray with you.